Folks, we're going to be meditating together this evening on the events of John 18 and the last night of Jesus' life. And of course, uh, very prominent in this passage is the Apostle Peter. Um, he's chief among the disciples. Many of you know him very well. He's a go big or go home kind of guy. There are spectacular moments of triumph in Peter's life and ministry and then despairing moments of defeat. And we see this oh so clearly, do we not, in John chapter 18. That in the space of probably what is about an hour, Peter goes from brave warrior um, who is in the fight for God's kingdom taking up sword and only merely minutes later to treacherous traitor who's turning his back on his Savior. And so we want to meditate on this passage. And as we do, and as we look at Peter, I want to help us to, 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 to be reminded we're not just disinterested, distant, um, impassive observers from the 21st century looking back on events 2,000 years ago and just sort of intellectually rendering judgments and providing critiques and, and looking through critical eyes. Rather, I think John gives us this passage because what he really wants us to see here is ourselves. That what we see is really a window into our own hearts. It's a mirror that reflects back to us who we really are in our sinfulness. He wants us to see our own capacity for treachery. But of course, the most important thing we can see in this passage is Jesus and what he did to remedy not only Peter's treachery, but ours as well. So I'm going to read this passage, and, and as I do, I just invite you into it to think on it, to meditate on it, to prayerfully consider it as we read these events together, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book, the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching, and Jesus answered him, I have spoke openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. One thing that seems to be crystal clear from the Gospels is that despite Jesus' repeated warnings and teachings and explicit instructions otherwise, the disciples were just not prepared for the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. They were not prepared for the fact that Jesus would be betrayed, he would be handed over, and he would be crucified on a cross. And it's not because Jesus had not told them. In fact, he had done nothing but tell them. In fact, he'd repeatedly told them that he had to go to Jerusalem to die. He had told them that the Son of Man had to be handed over to the religious leaders who would have him killed, yet they seemed completely obtuse to this reality. And on one hand, you can understand why. Just five days prior to this, in John chapter 12, of course, is the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, which witnessed an unprecedented popularity and support on the part of the people for Jesus. Remember, the people were calling for him to be king. And the disciples, for their part, were anticipating that they would be joining Jesus and taking their places of honor as a part of his kingly entourage. And we know this because just mere hours before this, the gospel writers tell us, at the Last Supper, as they're waiting on Jesus to come, they're arguing about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. They're, they're arguing about who will get the honored seat, who will be Jesus' favorite, who is going to be 
the most powerful. So in light of that, on, on one hand, it's understandable in one sense what Peter did when confronted by this murderous mob. It was perfectly consistent with his expectation that now was the time to fight. Now was the time to pick up arms. Now was the time to enact rebellion. And we know from Luke's account, by the way, that it wasn't just Peter who was thinking this, it was all the other disciples. Luke 22 tells us, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we, plural, strike with the sword? They, were all, they all had this expectation. But of course, Peter, in customary fashion, ignores what Jesus says, acts first, thinks second, pulls out his sword, and it says, John tells us, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, it's interesting that John actually names him. He puts a name on this, Malchus, probably because Malchus was known to the church. Malchus was undoubtedly a disciple. He was, he had at some point in the later days after Jesus' resurrection professed faith in Christ. Of course, if someone cut your ear off and Jesus pasted it back on, you'd probably be a disciple too, right? Now we have to wonder what these conversations between Peter and Malchus were like. We'll find out one day. Now, on the one hand, you could look at this incident and say about Peter, what extraordinary courage, right? What extraordinary bravery. He was ready to fight. He was ready to stand on the truth. He was ready to seize the kingdom. He was ready to bear arms for Jesus. And we can identify with that, can't we? Particularly in this day and age, we look around, a lot of us, about what's happening culturally and in the world, and in our nation, and we want to fight. We want to take a stand. We want to fix what's right. We want to fix what's wrong. So on one hand, Peter's actions make sense to us, don't they? But what's particularly confusing about this story is that it's probably merely an hour later, and Peter is huddled now around a fire, and he is confronted three times by people who recognize him, probably his accent, probably um, he had a distinctive Galilean look, the other gospels tell us. And yet when confronted, all of a sudden Peter is not so courageous. He loses his courage. He loses his nerve. And not once, not twice, but three times Peter denies Jesus. How do we explain brave Peter and then cowardly Peter? You know, with, with any leader, there are always, and this is true of, a, of sports figures, of celebrities, of, of any public figure, there's always those who attach themselves to that leader because they want to be a part of the show. They like the attention, the popularity, the the fame, the notoriety that being attached to this leader brings to them. They like being a part of the inner ring, the entourage, what it does for them and their own status. And we particularly see this, that whenever a celebrity or public figure falls from grace, 
we find out very quickly, right, who their real friends are. For the faux friend, the false friend, when the leader falls, they're out of there. There's, there's no incentive for them to stay, right? But for the faithful friend, they remain, they stay out of genuine love and care and friendship. I mention this because I, help, I think it helps us understand why Peter is so eager to defend Jesus in the garden, but not so eager to claim his name around the campfire. And if we understand Peter's heart, then we might understand something about ours. See, on that Thursday night, when Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, it's not just because they are attacking the king. They're attacking Peter's king. And by attacking Peter's king, they're attacking Peter's dreams and Peter's aspirations and Peter's ambitions. Peter sees all of this going up in smoke and says, now is the time to take arms. But around the fire, see, see, Jesus is no longer the conquering king. He is just a disgraced person soon to be sentenced to death. See, around that fire, there are no more coattails to ride. Jesus has no moral, worldly accolades to offer at that moment. There is no earthly prize or throne. So what are we to conclude? It's simply this, I think. Peter was ready and willing to fight for Jesus, but Peter was not ready and willing to die for Jesus. He was ready to kill. He was not so ready to suffer. So you can find out a lot about a person's true heart and loyalties, not just by what they will fight for, but what they will suffer for. See, so much of what we fight for can be tied up in our agenda, our desires, our desires, our ego, our ambitions. But what we can die for, that's reserved for our deepest loves and affections, isn't it? And so here is the stark contrast, and I think this is what John wants us to see. Here is the stark contrast between what Jesus did and what Peter did. Peter was willing to kill for Jesus, but he wasn't willing to die. Jesus was willing to die for Peter, but not to kill. Luke says it this way, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and that he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? Why didn't Jesus call for the angels? He most certainly could have. Well, the reason he didn't, he tells us again in verse 11, back in John 18, Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus says, I'm not going to do it because I have to die. Peter, in order for me to be your king, 
I have to die a very unkingly death. And as we come, for Oaks family, to the table tonight, I want you to think about that night 2,000 years ago when Jesus first instituted this meal. And I want you to think about it from Peter's perspective, sort of after the fact. You see, Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray him. He explicitly told Peter at that Last Supper. But even knowing what was in Peter's heart, even knowing the treachery that lurked there, even knowing what was about to happen only a few hours later, what did Jesus do? Jesus personally served the bread and the wine to Peter. He, he's in essence telling Peter, you're going to need this. Peter, you have spectacular failure. You have treachery in your heart. And you can imagine there are gonna be times in the future where, where Peter looks back on these denials with embarrassment and shame and, and, and great anxiety and fear but his heart and his mind is going to be carried forward to that evening when Jesus gave him his body and his blood. This is what Paul means, I think, in 2 Timothy when he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. For Oaks, that's the gospel. While we were sinners, while we were treacherous, while we were harboring betrayal in our hearts, Jesus died for us. While we were enemies of the cross, Jesus offered up his body and his blood. He didn't wait on Peter for him to get his act together. He didn't wait for Peter to correctly align his affections in his heart. He just says, here, Peter, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And Four Oaks, that's what he does for us. Jesus on this Good Friday does not call us to himself because we have it all together or because we've finally gotten our hearts straight enough where we can do business with Jesus. Jesus said, no, no. While you were still treacherous in your heart, your, your affections drawn from me, you were, you were oriented to yourself, I have come and died for you. That's the essence of what we remember and celebrate on this Good Friday. For Oaks, Jesus knows what's in your heart. And he doesn't die for you in spite of this. He dies for you because of this. And he says, come to you, all of you with sinful, doubting, pensive, treacherous hearts, and I will give you my body and my blood, broken and shed for you. Let's pray. Father.